Here at Fun for Teachers, we've spent the summer following our 2022 fellows, as well as those from 2020 and 2021 whose fellowships were deferred, as they pursued learning around the country in five continents. It's now September, and most of our grant recipients are back in the classroom. So we're bringing back Fund for Teachers, the podcast, for our fourth season. I'm Carrie Caton, and the goal of each episode is to elevate teachers as inspiring architects of their careers, classrooms, and school communities. We are already in contact with fellows who experienced life-changing fellowships this summer. They are eager to share their learning on future episodes. However, since they are in the midst of processing their learning and welcoming new students into their classrooms, we sought out the Fund for Teachers Fellow making national news as part of WEAVE, the Social Fabric Project at the Aspen Institute, which was founded by New York Times columnist and author David Brooks. In 2013, Megan Hilberg and her husband, then an English teacher and now a principal in rural Nebraska, used a Fund for Teachers teen grant to retrace the footsteps of Poland's Jewish and non-Jewish people during the Holocaust to develop a greater understanding of its lingering impact and help students grapple with the atrocities committed. Since that time, Megan created a Holocaust curriculum that united their community, formed a travel club that takes students and adults on collaborative educational journeys, was selected as a museum teacher fellow at the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum, and was asked to join the Nebraska Community Foundation's Board of Directors. In 2020, she was named Nebraska Teacher of the Year, an honor her mother received 25 years prior, And in 2021, the Lowell Milken Center for Unsung Heroes named Megan a Lowell Milken Fellow. In our visit, we dialogued about how her trajectory went from, quote, I'll never be a teacher, unquote, to a private audience with First Lady Jill Biden, as well as her encouragement to other teachers thinking about applying for a Fund for Teachers grant. But we began with the same question that kicks off all of our podcasts. The first thing I start with is asking how you got into teaching. So I was never going to be a teacher ever. Uh, My mom was a great teacher, a very highly decorated teacher. And so it was kind of like, well, that's my mom's thing. That's what she does, you know, sort of a thing. And I was interested in the medical field. I was really thinking that I was going to be a pharmacist. And it was one day that I was working at the pharmacy, had moved to Omaha to go to pharmacy school because that's where the only pharmacy school is in the state of Nebraska. And I came home and I'm like, this is just not for me. And so after I figured out that, you know, I love to read, I love to write, I love learning, I love communicating with people. I like being a part of the community. And I was like, I think I want to be an English teacher. So I went back and took, I did the transition to teach program, which is phenomenal for people who already have their undergraduate degree and kept a certain GPA. Then you can do an accelerated online program to get your teaching certificate. And that's what I did. And it worked out really wonderfully for me. Then you became a fellow in 2013, almost 10 years ago. How did you learn about the fellowship? I think it was maybe my mom who had heard it from a friend of hers was like, hey, there's this fellowship available for teachers where you write a proposal. 
you can basically go, you know, anywhere in the world, as long as you're going to bring it back to your classroom and the greater community to, to impact beyond the classroom walls and Hey, it's worth a shot. And I'm like, wow, this sounds like right up my alley, but I had never written a proposal before. I wasn't a grant writer. You know, I, it was all just totally new to me. And so my husband and I, he's also an English teacher. Now he's a principal. We decided that we were going to apply for the team one. And my mom was a great Holocaust educator before that was really a thing. So I had always grown up knowing more about the subject than my peers. And then when I became a teacher, I was shocked to learn that there was not really a Holocaust education unit happening at my school. So I was like, well, then I'm going to do it. And I knew that I had always had an interest in it, but I knew that if I was going to teach it, that I needed a really strong, solid foundation because it is such a, a difficult topic and it is such a vast topic with a lot going on. So I wanted to educate myself and I know that I learn best by incorporating all of my five senses. So I was like, I want to travel to these places um, to relay better to my students what I saw, what I heard, what I felt, uh, you know, in those moments and in those places. That's where it stemmed from. And thank goodness, we I had a kind of a mentor that used to work for the ADL, the Anti-Defamation League. And I had him read over the proposal because at first we were going to go to every death camp in Europe. And he's like, you absolutely cannot do that to yourself. Because I'm one of those people that's like, well, if I'm going to go, I'm going to go and I'm going to do it. I'm going to see it all. I'm not going to waste any time, you know? And he's like, Megan, you really can't. It will severely impact your entire being. He's like, you need to pick three camps, go to those three camps. And then also look at some pre-Holocaust Jewish sites so you can see how life was for Jews before the Holocaust and then go to some post-Holocaust Jewish sites so you can get life before, during, and after because the Jewish life is not just what happened during the Holocaust. It's much broader than that. And so I was very thankful for his guidance there because it really did make for a more well-rounded trip and helped me kind of find what's really important. Yes, the Holocaust, obviously, but also that pre and post Holocaust life for Jewish people. And then when you returned to Nebraska, how did you synthesize and implement that learning and those experiences? So part of the proposal was that I was going to start a Holocaust literature unit in each of the grades that I taught. And I, we saved, like we had enough money budgeted to get an appropriate age level Holocaust text for each grade, seven through 12. And so, of course, I asked friends, experts in those areas, what would be good text to incorporate at my school? And then I just made my own curriculum, you know, my own lesson plan, my own kind of, you know, syllabus and stuff for that. And I was a little nervous of how it was going to go because just because I'd gone on this trip doesn't mean I was an expert, you know, overnight. But I found that the students and the community, they were really hungry for knowledge. They were really hungry for that information. And I got asked to speak at churches and 
Rotary and, you know, just different little events, different little clubs and groups all over. And but it was incredibly well received, incredibly it spread into this wonderful thing where parents were asking if they could read the books that, you know, the kids were reading and they loved it. And the lady at the gas station heard a kid came in, you know, and filled up and was talking to her and she wanted to read the book that we were reading. And like, I'm that person now in our, not just my community, but kind of the area, uh, kind of the geographical area. So it's really been a beautiful, wonderful thing to know that people are not any less eager to learn just because of where we live. They just simply need the opportunity to have the information Mm -hmm. and the experiences. And so again, that's when I kind of notice, like I can be that person to help bring experiences and help bring opportunities. So that was enhanced in 2015 when you went to a conference in DC. Yes. So then I realized, I think this is really like my passion. I think this is really what I want to learn more about. I went to Belfer, which is at the Holocaust Museum. And while I was at Belfer, the museum staff approached me and they're like, you've got something dynamic about you. We really want you to apply for our museum teacher fellow program. They're like, don't, don't be disheartened if you don't get accepted on the first try, because, you know, it usually takes two or three tries and because they only select 20 from the whole world. It's a worldwide thing. So I applied for that and then I got it. And then, and then from there, that's when I met Carl Wilkins, who was the only American to stay in Rwanda during the Rwandan genocide. And then that's how I got to go to Rwanda with him. It just went on this whole journey. That's where I met my friend, Joshua from the Netherlands, which then I went and visited him and got all hooked up with the Anne Frank house. And now my kids in Taylor, Nebraska, population 190 do programs with the Anne Frank house and answered, you know, it's just like, it all started with fun for teachers. It really did because it opened my eyes of this is what I'm really passionate about. And I can incorporate it into the classroom. I think a lot of teachers think, well, I'm a teacher by day, but my passions are really over here outside of school. I felt like FFT brought those together where it's like, I found my passions and it fits with my job. I can mesh the two together, which I think then in the long run makes for happier, healthier educators because you're getting to incorporate your passion and will maybe make you want to stay in the classroom a few more years. I think that's why we do what we do. And mm-hmm. you just summarized it really well and you live it out. I mean, so then you, you become uh, involved with the Holocaust Museum and then you touched on your experience with Carl Wilkins, but it's too rich to just gloss over. So would you tell us more about how that is now incorporated into your experience as well? Sure. Yes. So I went to Rwanda, Africa in July of 2018 and was there with Carl Wilkins and a group of a handful of other teachers from the United States. And he did the same approach of what I learned from my FFT trip was we did not just go and see genocide sites, but he wanted to show us Rwandan life. So what Rwandans do for fun, joy, for work, how they're dealing with the terms of justice and forgiveness after such a genocide and how their country is healing and moving forward. That trip really impacted my soul on a very deep level that I did not 
expect or anticipate, but yet welcomed. And I was so overcome with just gratitude, joy that I just was crying and I couldn't quit crying because I was just so overcome with spirit of humanity. And it just really did something to me on a very deep level. So I get, and now I'm like getting teary eyed when I think about it, because it made me think about what do we really need to be joyful as a teacher? Cause we visited several schools and the students were very eager to learn and they were very eager to show me what they had learned. And they were very eager to share and they were all smiling and very positive And it made me think, what do I need to do as a teacher to make my students that excited about school? And it brought up some really deep conversations of have we passed that point in America where we can't we can't appreciate the small joys anymore in life? And how can we dial ourselves back to appreciate the small joys in life? So that has That's where I kind of adopted my whole motto from my life was when I was in Rwanda, it was look for the good, but then I changed it because I thought that was too easy to create the good. We are all capable of creating good. Maybe it's really, really small, but we are creators of good. And that's my motto, my message, how I want to live my life and what I try to pass on to my students is that we can be, we are creators of good. And gosh, isn't that a relief? Like to know that we don't need anybody on a white shining horse to come in and save us, that we can be creators of good in our life, in our community, in our school. So what does that mean for your students in Taylor, Nebraska? What does that look like for them? I think it means being involved in the community. Our community is very small in population, but yet We say, you know, like we're small, but mighty. And instead of saying we're in the middle of nowhere, I'm trying to tell the kids to change it. We're in the middle of everywhere. You, again, kind of referenced something that is so powerful that your students are participating in that you also created with the experiences that you were given opportunities is, is this participation with the Anne Frank house. Can you, can you talk about that son? Sure. Yeah. So yeah, two things that I should probably mention is the travel club. Because I found out most schools have a travel club, but it's just for kids. I decided to make mine for the community because I found that a lot of adults were also wanting to go on these trips and travel, but maybe were hesitant, didn't quite feel confident in booking their ticket, didn't exactly know what to do. So I was like, we'll take care of that. Since then, We went to Washington, D.C., we went to Boston, we went to New York City, we went to San Francisco, and we went to L.A. And those trips were hugely successful with, you know, like half kids, half adults. And that also created this bonding between the people that were on that trip, you know, and people that maybe you'd never think, you know, outside of the trip would spend time together. And it gave the adults a chance to see the kids in a different way than just on the football field on Friday night, or just in the gym, you know, for a basketball game, they actually got to interact and see them on a deeper level. And same thing for the kids. Like we think that just because we're in a small town that the kids know every single person. And I found out that that wasn't true, (laughs) that they might have known who they were, but they don't really know them. So it gave the kids a chance to talk to them. What do you do? Have you lived here your whole life? You know, blah, 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 you know, on the bus rides or 
plane trips, you know, all that stuff. That was one really cool thing that came after Fun for Teachers was the travel club. Then the Anne Frank house, like I was saying, my best friend that I met at the Holocaust Museum, he is from the Netherlands. And when I went to visit him the first time, we went to the Anne Frank house, then came back. You know, I was just in that Holocaust education world. Well, then one day I got an email from a guy that runs the Anne Frank house, the American division, and wanted to know if I could come to a training and down in South Carolina at the university. And I said, sure. So went down there and then the director of the Anne Frank house in the Netherlands asked me to come over there and give me a private tour. And I got to go into rooms that public doesn't get to go into. And it was very impactful. Then our school was selected to have a traveling exhibit about Anne Frank. It's called Anne Frank, a history for today. And so the kids actually go to a two-day training led by the people at the Anne Frank house. They came to little old Taylor, Nebraska for six kids. And the kids learn how to be docents of the, of the museum of the traveling exhibit. So they get to set it up. They study the panels. They lead both their peers and community members through it and kind of become experts on the topic. But their training is so much more than Anne Frank because it's Anne Frank, a history for today. So it leads them through a really deep training And they did a great job. I'm so proud of them. (laughs) Then you were teacher of the year in Nebraska. I think I remember that your mother was also teacher of the year in Nebraska. She was, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, We're the only parent-child teacher of the year in the country, we think. I want her to be remembered because she's the one who got me started in this whole Holocaust education stuff. And she's the one who, you know, suggested that we do this fund for teachers application and has been a total life trajectory changer. I mean, not just career, but life's wise as well. And then you were selected out of all the teachers of the year to have a one-on-one with first lady Biden. I still can't believe it sometimes when I think about it. So you go to the white house during the whole pandemic and, and you dialogue with her and you get a tour of the white house and and then this weaving project mm, yeah. comes on the scene with this small journalist named David Brooks. Yes. <laughs> and he comes across your work and another catalyst for good happens. So tell us about that. So I actually met David Brooks before I was teacher of the year at an event that was for people who are weavers in their community who try to weave people together. And he came to Nebraska because he had heard that Nebraska was good at that. So he wanted to come check it out. So he came and I was called and asked to attend the supper. And it was like on a Monday night, a couple hours away from where I live. And I'm like, I don't know. And it was kind of snowy. I'm like, I just, I don't know if I should do that. I'm not going to get back till super late. I got to teach tomorrow and all this. I was like, oh, okay, I'll go. So I went and I'm really glad I did because I feel like Holocaust education and community is so incredibly intertwined because there was a breakdown of community during the Holocaust, you know, there was like an us against them feeling and that's not community. So that's what this whole thing was with David Brooks was he was discovering that people were feeling more isolated than ever before. 
that was before the pandemic. So he started this Weave the People movement. And from my time with him at the supper, his team called up and said, can you come to Washington, D.C. to this conference that we're having with weavers from all across the United States to talk about what we can do as weavers in our communities and how can we spread this message throughout the rest of the country. You personify something that our executive director says often is to our fellows is to go where the learning leads you. Mm. Inevitably, nothing works according to plan. (laughs) And so when something might come up, fellows are so honoring of the money that they've been given and the opportunity that they'll come back and say, we don't know what to do because this conference is full or this Mm. opportunity is no longer available. And we just trust teachers to say, well, you, you know what you need to do. So just follow the learning. And it just strikes me again and again, as you describe these opportunities that you just followed them. Yes. You know, you, when your mother said, you know, you should apply for this. She went, yeah, okay, I will. And then when you went to the Holocaust museum and, and the docents came up and said, you know, you should really apply for this. Even given the daunting statistics, you said, right. yeah, that. yeah, I'll do that. And then through that, then you met Carl Wilkins and went to Rwanda and then had kind of an epiphany, it sounds like. And at the Holocaust Museum, when you met your best friend and then went to the Frank House, I just am encouraged myself and really want to encourage those who are listening, our, our fellows, our potential fellows, just saying yes. That's what I say. And sometimes when I get asked to speak, like I think about things like you're just saying, and it's like, okay, I have figured out three pieces of, I don't mean call it advice. I'm not really a big advice giver, but just how I am choosing to go about my life is seek out adventures, say yes to opportunities when they come your way, even if some of them end up being duds. And find out what brings you joy and keep doing it until you find the next thing that brings you joy and then do that. It's, I think there's a certain point. I don't know, maybe it dawned on me earlier than some, but it just kind of dawns on you eventually that this is your one life. I want to live it and bring as much back as I can to my school and community. It's not just about me. If it just ended with me, it would be pretty unfulfilling. So to be able to pass that on to students and community members who are appreciative and eager to learn is so incredibly more than I could have ever imagined. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Again, it, you're, you're just hitting on all of these things that are very prescient for us right now. Our marketing theme for our 2023 grant is beyond mm. because I had the opportunity to interview fellows this summer from their fellowships in the field beyond kept coming up. This is beyond what I thought I could do. This is beyond what I ever thought was possible. I'm learning way more than I anticipated. And this is beyond what I even put in my proposal. And finally, I was like, okay, I get it. <laughs> like It's beyond, like, we've got to go with this. And, and all of that applies to your life and your teaching. I know you said you don't like giving advice, but I'm going to ask you anyway, because not everyone is a second generation teacher of the year. <laughs> um, I want to remind people who are listening that you were not trained as a teacher, that you did a transition program, that when you first applied for Fund for Teachers, you had never written a grant. So she didn't start off meeting with the the first lady. So what would your advice be to people who are, are considering applying for a Fund for Teachers grant? Don't be afraid to dream big. I think that sometimes we tell ourselves, well, I don't know, maybe that's too much. Maybe I can't handle that. Or, oh, I don't know if I'm ready to go there. Go. Don't close yourself in. Dream big. Once you've written your proposal, then go back and think, oh, is this big enough? Is this adventurous enough? 
is this going to bring back what I want to my classroom and my students? Or could I go one step further? Not in like a dangerous, risky way. I don't mean that. But just pushing yourself personally. Uh, I had never traveled internationally before until I got the Fund for Teachers Fellowship. And it was scary because I did not go with a tour group. I was not with a guide. You know, we planned our own trip throughout Europe and rented a car and figured it out as we went. And there were some moments where it was like, what in the heck are we doing? What did we get ourselves into? That's part of the journey. Knowing that maybe your your trip won't go exactly as planned, but then in hindsight, realizing that, yeah, that was exactly what I needed to happen to me mm-hmm. to have a greater impact on myself, my school and my communities. And I know you're running up against a bell here, but one more thing that I always end everything with, I begin each conversation with, why did you become a teacher? And this is what I always end is just, is there anything I didn't ask you? Is there anything that you would like to say, talk about? I would just maybe like to say with our current situation with education and teaching, we're seeing a lot of really amazing teachers leave the classroom. And if that's what they you know want to do and decided that's best for them, then and go for it. You don't have to feel guilty about that. But I do want to say on the flip side that trying for things like fun for teachers can be that catalyst that you need to remind you of why you went into teaching in the first place. If you're getting to the point where it's boring, it's unfulfilling, then you can make that change. You can create good in your classroom again. But what's it gonna? What's that catalyst gonna be to get you there? Uh, things like FFT are exactly what I needed at just the right time in my life, and it has kept me in in the classroom many, many years, and hopefully many years to come. So, uh, just those that are maybe on the fence of do I stay in teaching a couple more years? Do I not? Check out FFT. Put together a proposal, go for it. Heck, you may come back re-energized, hyped up, jazzed up, ready to teach again because you're getting to combine your passions with your job, which is the best case scenario. Thank you to Fun for Teachers fellow Megan Helberg for joining us today. And we look forward to using this podcast to elevate more teachers as the inspiring architects of their careers, classrooms, and school communities. But you can learn from more than 9,200 Fund for Teachers fellows now by visiting fundforteachers.org slash blog. Or check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And start your application for a Fund for Teachers grant beginning October the 1st at fft.fundforteachers.org. I'm Carrie Caton. Thank you for joining this episode of Fund for Teachers, the podcast. Until next time, keep learning.